All right, so we, today we're introducing the book of Philippians, the letter of Paul writing to, to the church in Philippi. And so what I want to do is give a little bit of background, then we're going to read the whole letter. Is that okay? Yeah. We're going to read the whole letter. It's a letter, so we'll read. I'm going to comment on verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1, and then lead us into communion. We good with that? Okay. All right. So, some background. If you want to know the background and read it in detail, read Acts chapter 16. It's the story of Paul on his second missionary journey, going around you know, the Mediterranean, planting churches, looking, being led by the Spirit to go to places to preach the gospel and see gospel communities established wherever he goes. And so this one is the, the city of Philippi. And what we know about Philippi, it was, a, it was a Roman city, a Roman colony that was populated with Roman citizens. Many of those citizens were discharged army veterans. People who had served their time in the military and then were given a place in this city of Philippi. And they received, there was a place they didn't have to pay any taxation and they received their benefits and they worshipped the emperor because that was the... The, the, the worship cult of the time was to the, the emperor, and so they lived in harmony in this beautiful city of Philippi, as we understand it. And into this comes Paul. Now, Paul is on his second missionary journey, and this is around about AD 50. And he's wanting to go one way. But the Holy Spirit keeps hindering him from going the way he wants to go and prevents that. It's an interesting to unpack that as, a, as a, a, a learning spot when the Spirit says no and hinders you. But then he has this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come, be with us. I'm summarizing, uh, as I say, Acts 16. You can go read it. I'm just going to summarize it. Remembering this, that Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was an apostle to the Jews. Now, you would have thought that Paul would be a great apostle to the Jews because he was studied in the law much more than Peter. So he was steeped in it. He was a Pharisee. Yet God moved him to the Gentiles. Maybe it was because of the way that he was able to interpret and think and maneuver around things in, into the cultures that he found himself. So here's this man saying, come to us, come to Macedonia. And so off he goes with his cohorts, with his people that are traveling with him. And I'm not giving you all that, I'm just summarizing. And so they arrive in the city of Philippi. And they go to pray at the well, a whole bunch of women there. And in that time, he meets a woman named Lydia. Now, my mind always goes, does weird things. Does your mind think weird things? I often think, I wonder if a woman had called him in the vision whether he would have gone. Because a man called him, but all the interaction in the beginning is with a woman. I think, that's just my weird mind. Might be all rubbish, but, so throw that one out. But he meets Lydia, and Lydia is a person of means. She's, she's a dealer in purple cloth, which was for royalty, for the upmarket. Um, actually, the word baptism... The word baptizo in the Greek is to submerge, and so you would take, the word comes, you'd have white cloth, and it would be baptizo in purple dye, and it would come out different. And so our word baptism is rooted in that sort of thinking. So when you get baptized one day, you're going in one way, you're coming out totally different. You might be going in just this little white cloth, and you come out royal. 
That's what's happening. So she was a dealer in this royal uh, purple cloth. She had means. And so she was someone who worshipped God, some general God. So she was a godly person. And Paul preaches the gospel to her. And when we know that when Paul preaches the gospel, he speaks about Jesus. He speaks about Jesus crucified. And he speaks about Jesus resurrected. Because that's where the new life is. And she repents. And he baptizes her, her and her whole household. Come to my house. And there he goes. And I'm, here's the essence of the beginnings of gospel community. Because he was obedient. He could have forced his way somewhere else, but he was obedient to her vision. And God opens a whole new door. Just as he did with Peter, having a vision of a sheet coming down with all these unclean animals. And the Lord says, eat, opens a door to the non-Jews for him. That the gospel can go everywhere. So now they preach the gospel in Philippi. They're doing their, their work and along comes a young girl. And she is a future teller. She's been possessed by a demon. And she, you know, she can tell the, the future. And she makes money for people. And she begins to yell, these are God's people. And Paul gets fed up with her yelling and basically casts the demon out. Which makes everybody upset. You know, and she, I mean, she gets saved. Added to this little gospel community, we're assuming. All the, the rulers are upset, saying they're causing commotions. Why? Because they're undermining the stability of the city with this gospel. And they get taken before the authorities. They get beaten and thrown in jail and put in stocks, you know, tied down in the back part of the jail. And there they are. How would you like that? Think, well, that's a good story. Then in the middle of the night, while they are tied up, and remember, a prison in Roman times is not like our prisons. These were nasty places. In the middle of the night, they start singing and praying, singing songs. I'm thinking, what's the matter with you? They start worshipping. Because your joy is on the inside, not on the outside. Changing your circumstances doesn't always change your joy or how God wants to use you. God works from the inside. And so, God comes. Prison doors thrown open. Everybody could escape. And Paul says, no, they don't escape, they just wait. Along comes the jailer. He wants to throw himself on the sword because all the doors are open. He's going to commit suicide because he's lost the prisoners. Paul yells, don't do that, we're still here. That's amazing to the jailer because most people would have taken ducked and run. Gospel gets preached. He gets saved. He gets baptized. His whole household as well. Isn't that amazing? Three amazing stories. Lydia, slave girl, and a jailer. What a way to start a church. Incredible. Most probably in Lydia's home. Um, they want to send them, you know, the, the, peop, the, the authorities just want to send them on the way. And Paul says, no, 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 no. This is a Roman city where Roman citizens have rights and I am a Roman citizen, which now throws a cat among the pigeons. Because now they've just beaten and jailed a Roman citizen, which is not a good thing to do. So he appeals to his citizenship. He gets them to come get, take him out of jail, which is kind of humbling for the authorities. He comes out, spends some time with Lydia, spends some time with his people, 
and he leaves, and there's no record of him ever going back. How long do you think that might have been? Maybe a few weeks, I don't know. Three weeks? Four weeks? Let's, let's be outrageous and say it was three months. I don't think it was that long. Paul came in, saw the gospel effect. A little church starts in a woman's home, and he leaves. Didn't appoint elders. Didn't appoint deacons. Just left this gospel community there. Isn't that an amazing story? Think about the way we want to do things. We want the, you need to have the cool people. You need to have an X amount of money. You need to have a good space. You need to have whatever it is, and then we'll do it. And Paul didn't seem to have those sort of issues. Who's ever there, whoever responds to the gospel, will take those people. It's an amazing story. And sometimes when we read the text, we gloss over. We think, oh, that's a good story. But actually, if you dig in and sit with it, you think, this is actually incredible. I remember when Linda and I came to the States in 1998, and we started in our backyard, the two of us and, our two, and a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. And if we invited this person, and we met a person who was a sound engineer, and they, they came and... And that's how we started the church. And people think, I remember telling that to some of the young church planters, and they absolutely thought we were out of our minds. But actually, that's all we knew. Because if you keep waiting, you might miss what God is doing. Now, I'm not advocating that everybody must do that. I'm just saying, be available to what God is saying and what God is doing. Because you can have all the things and not God. Or you can have nothing and God. I'd rather have that one. Is that okay? Um, this church becomes a partner church for Paul. They partner with him in resources, they partner with him in suffering, and they partner with him in joy. Many other things as well. You can see the sending of Epaphrodites. It's just amazing this small church planted in this lady's home becomes something that becomes a blessing to the nations. All right? How did they survive? In such a sort of a non-God space. How did they thrive? It's one thing to survive. It's another thing to thrive. Somehow Paul was able to put something into this group of people in a few weeks that enabled them to stand, grow strong, and get people added. It's fascinating. See, when we truly are gripped by the gospel, when we are truly impacted by the Spirit of God, revolution comes to us, and we become revolutionaries where we're at, in the, in the best sense of the word. We overthrow kingdoms of darkness in the power of the Spirit and in the preaching of the gospel. Um, so now, 10 years later, Paul's in jail again. Kind of made a habit of going to prison. He offended lots of people. He didn't back down. He's in prison in Rome. We, that's what they say. Um, 
And this church has been partnering with him. And, and I think um, Tyler's speaking next week uh, and from starting in verse 3 of the Philippines. And he talks about this partnership, this wonderful, wonderful Greek word, koinonia. It's a great word to unpack. And I hope he does that. And he's writing a letter back to this church with an immense sense of gratitude and thanksgiving for who they have been to him. And he writes with an incredible sense of pride and joy in this people. There's no correction in this letter. He's not mad with them. He's not trying to sort something out. He's just writing a letter to say, thank you, you're amazing. I'm so glad that we are in partnership together. This is awesome. That's the whole reason for the letter. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. We spoke about Thanksgiving earlier. Thanksgiving is an amazing thing, and Paul is demonstrating it here. Paul, this great apostle, this man that will take on all sorts of things, yet he has this incredibly compassionate pastoral heart towards the church. I want to encourage you, if God has called you in any way to be a church planner and you want to preach the gospel and you want to be one of those people up front strong for God, never lose the softness of the compassion that God puts in you to love God's people. Because it is about people. I prayed earlier when we were praying, I'm so glad that God didn't make me you know, the, the, the prosecutor or the defender or the jury or the judge. He took me out of the dock because of his love, and said, why don't you become a lover of God and a lover of people? Isn't that beautiful? Just become a lover of God and a lover of people. It's a summary of the whole of the law and the prophets. Love God and love people. Is that okay? Now, I'm not, advoc- not saying there's no leadership to bring correction from time. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying at the basis of who we are as God's people, as recipients of the gospel, or the recipients of the kindness and the patience and the mercies of God, become a lover of God and a lover of people. If you do not love people, please do not offer any time to be a leader. Be- love people. Love people. The good, the bad, the ugly, the short, the tall, the poor, the rich, whatever. Just love people. All right, so now we're in this letter, and we're going to read it. So imagine I write you a letter, and I say, Dear Dana, and I write a whole lot of things, and Dana gets this letter, and she begins to read it. Dear Dana, I wonder what he means by dear. Hmm, let's sit on that for a while. Just read the letter. The letter's trying to say something. Don't get caught up with all the little details, at least not at first. Read the letter. Now, I know this letter was written in Greek, and we're having it translated into English, and there are nuances and word translations that get lost. But if you read the letter, you'll get the message. You'll get the thing that Paul is wanting to say. Then you can go and unpack all the beautiful parts of it to fill it out. But read the letter. Now, one of the things about our current generation is that we, I don't know if we actually even do letters anymore, do we? We write texts and they're very short. Sound bites. I'm not sure. You know, the capacity to actually sit with somebody giving them your heart written down is an amazing thing. Um, I was not a good letter writer. I went to boarding school for eight years, 
And my grandmother gave me a writing set. There was an old writing set, a leather thing. You open, there were envelopes and stamps and a pen. And, and at the end of eight years, it was the same writing pad was still in there. <laughs> Didn't write any letters. There was no faxing, there was no texting, there were no computers, nothing like that. We're talking about the 70s. The same pad was there. Then I met Linda after I got saved, and I went for a three-month military camp. And in that 90 days, I wrote her 110 letters. 110 letters. Why? Why? Because I was in love. Because God had told me something. I just loved this person. Some of those letters were short. And you can read, you know, 2 John, 3 John. They're short. And some of them were long. And some of them just repeated themselves. I love you. I love you. It's amazing to know, you know, that type of stuff. Just, it was a letter. There was a heart in the letter. That's what we wanted. You know, the wonderful thing is she wrote letters back. I I longed for the letter. Now think about this. Paul only went to this church once. And there was still this partnership. And for a letter was written, it took months wherever he was to get there by ship and carrier and might have got lost. We know a letter to Laodicea got lost somewhere along the way. But he writes this letter. And there's a great precedent for reading whole bits of Scripture. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Don't forsake the public reading of Scripture. We, we know in Nehemiah 8, Ezra stood up day and night, read the law to the people. We know that Moses, before he died, spoke the law, the promises, the covenant to the people. That's the book of Deuteronomy. So there is there's precedent to actually do this. Is that okay? So we're going to read the whole book. I'm going to read it to you. They might put it up if you want to follow, or you might want to close your eyes. You might want to doze. That's Okay. If you fall asleep and fall out the window, we'll raise you from the dead. That's what Paul did. All right. So, let's read it. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul would have been terrible at texting because his sentences are long. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So I'll say this quickly. They would have read these letters out because some people could not read. So they would, they would have read the letters out. So just adding that in. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. 
And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm, that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What an attitude. What an attitude. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again and your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see this heart of this man? Doesn't matter what happens, just live a good God life. Then, when, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Greek word kenosis, a beautiful word. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. It's okay to be homesick. It's okay. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. You know, a beautiful verse, Paul struggled with anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence." That's old language type of stuff, and hopefully whoever gets to preach that will unpack that a little more. It's really powerful. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power 
of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Problem is when you take verses like this out of context, we make all things out of them, but they're rooted in a narrative. That's why we want to read the whole letter. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Isn't that a great verse? For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship, remember he's appealing to the citizenship of a city that's Roman citizens, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his Glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for. Can you say this quickly? Whenever you see a therefore, it's it's appealing to something that came before. All right, so if you don't read the whole letter and you get to therefore, you don't know what came before, makes no sense to what you're currently reading. Okay, so read the whole thing so that you know what the therefore is therefore. All right, therefore, my brothers and sisters, You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eudea, and I plead with Syntyche, I hope that's the correct pronunciation, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So we're just having a little spat. Yes, and I ask you, my, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. They're not mentioned here, but they're in the book of life. Such a good book to be written in. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. I think it was Dallas Willard who said, the first freedom that we have is where we choose to put our minds. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. 
Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Please don't put that on your board as a verse if you haven't read the parts that come before. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I, does, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That verse too. Don't write it on your board until you've read the verses that come before. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Just get the big picture. You know? Now, think through it. You know, what, maybe God spoke to you. We're not going to do that now, but maybe God spoke to you as you were reading that. Write it down, go meditate, go contemplate it, and let God, the Spirit of God speak to you. And now when others come to unpack each of these verses, see the context. Go back and read it again. It took, I think, 16 minutes to read it aloud. Just go read it again. Read it again till it becomes part of you. Now, I want to quickly, have I got a few minutes? I want to quickly commentate on the, make commentary on the first two verses of chapter one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus, to Philippi, in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The amazing thing, there are two verses and Jesus is mentioned three times. At the heart of the gospel is the centrality of Jesus, and not any Jesus. Jesus the Christ. We live in a time where if you speak the name of Jesus, it's okay. Most people like Jesus. He's a moral guy. He's a good teacher. He's a wonderful fella. Actually, he's my homeboy. But we need to talk about Jesus the Christ, Jesus crucified. Now we're touching on a whole different ballgame because the gospel is not the preaching of Jesus. The gospel is the preaching of Christ crucified and resurrected. Is that all right? That's where the difference comes. And Paul is very clear here. He doesn't, doesn't talk about Jesus. He talks about Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus or the Lord Christ Jesus. He's being very specific. And in Greek, into that context, that would have had very specific ramifications. To the Corinthians, he writes, I want to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. That's in chapter 1, chapter 2. In chapter 15, he gives the essence of the gospel. Christ crucified according to the scriptures. Christ buried. Christ risen again according to the scriptures. Christ appearing. Please don't water the gospel down. 
because we want to make it palatable. That doesn't save anybody. All right? Our faith is rooted in a historical Jesus who actually lived, who actually died, who actually rose again. Not, it's not a good idea. This is the Jesus who lived. Just, you, you just done one John. John. This one we touched, we felt, we smelt, we were with him, we hugged him, we ate together. This is the, what, the one we proclaim, who was real, he was incarnated. All right, and Paul is saying a similar thing here, just in these two verses, three times. And this is for everyone, not just the leaders. He's writing to everybody. And then he tags on the leaders. Second thing I just want to quickly say here. He says here, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, as people part of a church, your leaders are God's servants to you. They are not your servants. Is that okay? Leaders or people, anybody, are God's servants to others. They are not those people's servants. The leaders are not your servants. Is that okay? Do you see the difference? They are God's servants to you. Who do they give account to? God. That doesn't mean there's no accountability at this level. But often we think the leaders are our servants. They've got to do our bidding. No, we do God's bidding toward you, to do you good. just want to say that, for whatever that's worth. Um, And it's a beautiful thing to bestow blessing upon a community of people. Paul loves to bestow grace and peace to you from God. How did he get that? He must have spent time with God. He knew what it was to spend time with God, to pray, to wait upon the Lord. And out of that, the Spirit would speak to him and he can write grace and peace to you, church. Because it came out of his devotion to Jesus. It wasn't just words. He heard something and he passed it on. And when you spend time with Jesus, in that experiential moment that's rooted in historical reality, and that Jesus is meeting with you by his spirit and he's speaking to you and he's loving you, then you can go to someone else and impart love to them in the name of Jesus because it's what you've sat in and what you have received. We saw that in 1 John chapter 4, if you can remember. Hope that's all right. We're going to come to the table.